unhappiest in the saddle. <laughs> a fellow sportsman. I am an FBI agent. Great Scott. What do you say we cut the chit-chat a-hole? Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Come with me if you want to live. Hello, and welcome to Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And this time, we're going to be taking a retro ramble on the 1987 classic from Paul Verhoeven that is Robocop. Joining us this time, it's Ben. Hello, Ben. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. Ben is from Top Film Tip and has also written a book, which we will get to later. And Ben, like George and I, has taken another look at Robocop and has agreed to discuss it with us, haven't you, Ben? I have indeed. Thanks very much. So, Ben, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. So, you, you and I have uh, have known each other for a couple of years. Couple of years, I think. A couple of years, and we we sort of we met as strangers on the internet. Um, now, I've uh, I've been a fan of uh, of Ben's uh, Twitter account, uh, Top Film Tip, for for quite a few years. So, uh, Ben, can you pithily explain uh, how your uh, Twitter account works. So uh, every day, morning and night, I tweet out tips for the best films on uh, British TV, poster and a snappy little synopsis. Uh, so for instance, uh, the film we'll be discussing tonight, Robocop, would be tipped along the lines of killed cop cyborg seeks bullet bathed vengeance in penis shooting, toxic waste mutilating, visceral dystopian catharsis, Robocop. Now that is a synopsis that even Verhoeven would be proud of. So we're going to be going to all the usual places where George will be covering off the production chat. We'll be taking a ramble through the film. There'll be some coulda, woulda, shoulda. There'll be some suspicious spin-offs. But before we go any further, uh, if you've not listened to one of our episodes before, here's George just to explain what to expect. Yes, so we are film lovers. Uh, we are not film professionals by by any means. Uh, but yeah, the the purpose of these podcasts is um, so Charlie and I grew up on a, a healthy diet of eighties and nineties uh, blockbusters. Um, we go back and have a look at these films and question how do they still hold up? Why have they been such a big influence? Uh, and we just have a bit of fun with them. So we we treat them a bit like a, an old friend. So we, we reminisce, we, we take the piss. But because we go into detail, there will be spoilers from the very uh, off. There will be some colourful language, especially so. This is a, a Paul Verhoeven joint. It's an 18. It's, it's, an, it's a bloody 18, a very bloody 18. Um, so, yeah, we, we aim to, to have a bit of fun uh, and go back. So uh, if you're looking for some academic chat, this isn't the place to be. Either we will delve into some points of uh, scientific fact later in the episode. Yep, so sit back. Uphold the innocent, protect the law, fight the system. Uphold of all of them. Yep, so uh, 987 Robocop, here it is. Enjoy. All Detroit has a cancer. Cancer is crime. As you know, we've entered into a contract with the city to run local law enforcement. We were able to save the left arm. What? I thought we agreed on total body prosthesis. Now lose the arm, okay? We get the best of both worlds. Onboard computer-assisted memory and a lifetime of on-the-street law enforcement programming. Hey, Lewis, it's Supercop. This guy is really good. He's not a guy, he's a machine. What are they going to do, replace us? Murphy, it's you. Go get him, boy. Thank you. You had a backup, pal! Your move, creep. 
future of law enforcement. RoboCop. Thank you for your cooperation. So, George and Ben, RoboCop 987, Paul Verhoeven, before we jump into how did we get this film, should we start off with some first memories? Why not? Why not? And since you're our guest, Ben, what are your first memories of, of RoboCop? So, I, I remember having uh, a very close family friend, you know, you know, a friend you have who's known you since you were born, and he's kind of like a cousin, even though you're not blood relations, and, and I remember he, he, he had older friends, scary friends, and he had access to bootlegged videos, and he had seen this film, and I remember him telling me about the film, and he was, he was doing the no 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 I had no idea what he was doing, and he was talking, he, he tried to explain spoilers the 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 whole thing with how robocop ends up uh, breaking directive 4 it made no sense to me spoilers uh, were cool back then it's what yeah, got you to watch a film uh, they were encouraged yeah so. I, I, I mean I guess we were like two eight year old boys and one of them is trying to explain a very complicated plot point from the end of a two hour ultra violent action movie to the other and I was far too innocent to understand what's going on eventually we watched it it gave me nightmares it was terrifying there were mutant toxic waste bodies exploding yeah. everywhere blood and squibs and uh, you know and, and so torture scenes yes and it, it it made quite an impression and it was a long time I think before I had the guts to go back and watch it again yeah I need to invest in squibs said Mr Verhoeven after making this film George I think you and I are pretty much on the same page I probably got a bit of a stronger recollection because I was a little bit older back then or maybe I watched it before you did yeah I remember growing up being told how violent it really was but I have strong memories and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about it later watching the TV recordings which were really badly edited and with some creative use of dubbing of swearing do, do you remember any choice dubs any muddy funsters the, what was it what was my, the guy the, why the, me yeah there's why a bit where the, in the convenience store where the guy's like unloading the shotgun into Robocop and, he, and in the original version he's fuck you fuck you you fuck oh no fuck me fuck yeah. me yeah. and it's why me why me <laughs> yeah. and dick jones uh, i had used to have some old names for the old man like bonehead <laughs> <laughs> so yeah there was there was some uh, this was to be off the terrestrial television yeah there was like the itv recording so yeah i i remember having yeah watching it on tv and yeah, it was heavily edited. So my memories of, I mean, it was like, you know, Predator and Terminator. We watched it so many times, I don't have a, a first memory. However, my strongest first memory, I'm, I'm doing air quotes, is when I bought it, uh, on when it was released on DVD, I bought the director's cut special edition, which was completely uncut, and the level of violence was all new to me. So the amount of, uh, you know, you saw when, when Murphy's uh, crucifixion of, of sorts and yeah just the level of gore was like it's almost like 10 times as as bad as i'd seen it on uh, on tv yeah for me it's 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 pretty similar it's like definitely not one of dad's videos that we nicked off him my dad was totally against these sort of violent films that there was and for us it was the the gateway it was the thing it was the forbidden fruit what we weren't allowed obviously our uh, our neighbors the feenies or glendinnings were were part of this because they were some of their you know siblings were slightly older so they had the access that you were talking about ben but yeah it was very much and it's it's funny to go back and watch it i think ben and i talked briefly beforehand and both agreed that 
it's better that, than we remember it to be because I kind of pigeonhole this as an ultra-violent film that we were just watching it for the ultra-violence and for the fact that it was so gory and so high up. But actually, going back and watching I was impressed by how solid a film it is. It's, you know? it's, it's, a, you know, it's a very smart satire and I think that's what put off a lot of people. Like you say, you know, it's not one of Dad's films, but I'm sure if dad would have watched it, I don't think he ever has. I mean, I'm, I'm sure he would still write off saying, oh, it's, it's too violent, it's far too violent. But I think in terms of the level of satire, I think he would actually say, you know, it's quite a, a smart film. And I think that's why, you know, the title alone just conjures different images, you know, as uh, I'm sort of jumping ahead here, but apparently when the script was passed around Hollywood, loads of people turned it down just based on the title alone. It's like, sounds like a kid's show, Robocop. Yeah. Ironically, yeah. <laughs> if you're interested, you can go on YouTube and watch the uh, kids' cartoon version of Robocop. It's pretty awful. But I can, it sounds terrible. Um, I mean, <laughs> and, and it's, it's, it's quite strange to have had something that started off as this kind of uh, political social satire full of like, really torturous, horrendous, brutal violence being pitched for like Saturday morning cartoons. Well, yeah, there was it was a bit of a, a trend in the eighties. A Rambo animated TV series. Uh, I think I don't know if it was just a line of toys because I remember the RoboCop toys. I remember I really wanted the the RoboCop gun and helmet combo you can get. But I think there was an Aliens like those kids toys. You know, where these films were eighteen certificate really face huggers, fun for all the family. Well, that's it. You know, um, it was just a different time. You just don't get that anymore. I, I saw something uh, pop up on my Facebook feed the other way it's like a sleep apnea mask in the shape <laughs> but of a face hugger it's a face hugger brilliant, brilliant. absolutely brilliant <laughs> scare the hell out of your children in the middle of the night but it's it's strange the, about this film obviously George is going to fill us in on, on how this film came to be but what struck me from you know first first memories to going back to it again was how much of a traditional origin story like superhero for, he's even got his own music I don't know is it, it is the Robocop march or the Robocop theme you know yeah no but it is, he's, yeah. got, he's, got his, he's got his own theme music and then you've got his origins you've got him going on mm. patrol which we'll get to so yeah for me what struck me this time was just like wow this is this is kind of like if Paul Verhoeven did a superhero film this is about as superhero and cuddly as Paul Verhoeven gets so without further ado George how did uh, where are we in the because Verhoeven had made a few films but he I don't think he ventured very much into the western sort of it is his first American film uh, so yeah Paul Verhoeven is is a, is a Dutch director and I think he'd kind of burnt all his bridges and pissed off a lot of people in Holland so he was looking for a big American project something about asking all the actresses to just 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 just, just go lower just. <laughs> well no I think it was like something political I think he's just you know he's a very outspoken guy and I think he just riled up people the wrong way so this the script was was going around and they pitched it to loads of directors and I say everyone had turned it down everyone just thought it was a ridiculous idea it was a ridiculous name most of the studios like laughed out the guy so its origins were was from two writers so uh, the writer uh, Ed Newmeyer and another writer called Mike or Michael Miner and they had very two similar ideas so Newmeyer's idea was about a, a robot cop uh, and Miner's uh, his script was called Super Cop was about an injured cop who was enhanced by technology so they entwined <laughs> those ideas uh, I think Ed Newmeyer is sort of the main sort of creative force behind it because he uh, 
and especially from the satirical edge because he would go on to write uh, more of the robocop stuff but he also was a writer on starship troopers as well I'm trying to think if he. I don't know if he, I don't think he had any involvement on Total Recall, which is a sort of unofficial Verhoeven sci-fi trilogy. Yeah, Robocop's Total Being Recall first. and and Starship Troopers. Yeah. yeah, I think it's interesting to know that talking about those three films, Robocop, Total Recall, Starship Troopers, but this was the first adventure into sci-fi that Paul Verhoeven did. So one, it was his first American film, but two, it was his first attempt at sci-fi, and he, by his own words, was not a science fiction fan. But he's obviously politically active in terms of his views, which is what he was channeling. Very much so, but he he initially threw out the script when it was put in front of him, and it was actually his wife that convinced him to, to take it on, because he couldn't get past like the first 40 pages, and his wife read it, and she said, no, it's it's got lots of layers to it it's actually quite clever and she convinced him to do it cool so yeah uh, Newmeyer provided the corporate sort of yuppie satire he said it was the 80s all these businessmen were reading you know Japanese philosophy you know like the, the art, art of war yeah, yeah art of war they were calling themselves killers and his twist was I had them literally killing each other to get ahead which at the time was an original idea obviously we've seen it explored in in other sort of films it's very much American psycho I was about to say uh, do we, when was American Psycho published uh, I think it was around about the same time. I think it was like late 80s. It's around about the time of Huey Lewis, if I, if I remember correctly. Bingo. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... Um, I think he's got... A, he's, he definitely wrong foots them from the beginning. You know, it's like he's, he's got a certain style, certain satire that we obviously love mm. because if you've listened to any of our other episodes, you'll see that George and I have a certain affiliation for the the dark comedy, the, the, we're, the we're the guys in the audience who laugh when somebody dies in a horrible yet hilarious way. So Verhoeven catered for us or maybe it's because of Verhoeven <laughs> yeah there, there is that and I think he took that in terms of that whole it's an outlandish idea and he just ran with it and he, you know he he ramped it up and I, I think I'm not sure how much of this is it's true but I'm pretty sure the the whole sort of news clips and ads. ads were were Verhoeven's input because he had moved to America and he was just discovering all this TV for this first time he's like What's, what are all these adverts <laughs> well I think it's, it's interesting and they often say you know it takes an outsider to see and and you know you look at like the Grand Theft Auto games and it, the Grand Theft Auto games could not have been made by an American yeah. games manufacturer because they would be on the inside looking in and it takes someone on the outside to to absorb that culture from from an isolated point of view to to see um, all the how, weird inc- intricacies and, and just yeah. how jarring it is compared with what what they're used to from Absolutely. everybody else. I mean, I, I remember going to uh, Canada and America as a, uh, I don't know, maybe 15, 16 years old, and just being astonished that there were literally adverts every five minutes. Like you try and wa- I remember trying to watch Back to the Future on TV, and it was like every six or seven minutes there well, was they a the five-minute advert. Break. The credits finish, and then there's adverts before the film starts. It's yeah. unbelievable. I don't know if it's still like that. Um, no, and, no. Uh, yeah. Well, from I think the last time we were in Canada, it was like that. You'd yeah, at the end of the TV show, you'd get an advert, and then the credits would roll afterwards. It was nuts. Um, yeah, and, and you know, from a European perspective, that, that obviously seems strange. And then, you know, and and he obviously uh, he, he he came into a genre he wasn't familiar with, and he took on a culture that was alien to him, and he and he gave it 
a different point of view and, and it shows I think he the ads the games nuke him well that's it you know it's um, the game it, show it's, it's what it opens with you know is, is that sort of jovial look at the news and it's actually quite scary as we live in sort of very weird a uh, very weird political climate and it just seems like you know it's almost coming true well is that that's another thing that I think you guys probably saw the, the meme going around there was it was a Venn diagram of 1984 Brave New Worlds and the Matrix and you are in the middle (laughs) right now pretty much Um, yeah so I mean he I I think I always go back to this but like it's is it a good time to talk about the cast because there's some very strong performances in uh, with uh, Peter Weller's such a distinctive voice Uh, Ronnie Cox I mean such a bad guy of that time but no interestingly this was uh, his first he was like known for like uh, good guy roles at that stage like I think he'd been in a a TV series as like the dad probably the the dad figure and I think again it was uh, whether it was that Verhoeven thing of taking something and twisting it because he was seen for all these like wholesome values and he was like no I'm going to make you a really fucking awful guy and you know just shows how good and actually like he is but we were were terrified of Ronnie Cox because we had him in this then we had him in uh, the first Beverly Hills Cop and in Total Recall and it's only in Beverly Hills Cop 2 when suddenly him and Axel Foley are all getting they're all friends now yeah but he's like in most of the films you see him in he's a horrible guy not to be fucked with I, I think it's it, it was interesting watching that and I, I I don't want to break you guys format I've got a lot of stuff I want to it's unbreakable but <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot of things I want to get in and I don't want to get ahead of myself but uh, it's Clarence right Clarence Clarence Bodica <laughs> and, and I have to say like, you look uh, even now I so Clarence Bodica is the is the gangster but Ronnie Cox is the Dick Jones the, the, the corporate guy ah okay yes. yeah, sorry, so Dick Jones is the evil guy at the top yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, who's behind and Ed Clarence Bodica is guy it's called Kurtwood Smith I think he's called in real life but yeah they've they've all had very prolific TV careers like, again Kurtwood Smith the guy who plays um, he's in the uh, 70s show yeah he was brilliant in that 70s <laughs> show again as the father as a lovely homely dad in the 70s show yeah but sorry, uh, I, I've t- taken you away from your train. Thought what were you going to say, Ben? Well, I was derailing your train uh, right there, talking about a completely <laughs> different shame. character. But um, the it, interesting casting with I, I found the bad guys were kind of interesting in watching it again after a number of years. Um, Clarence, I mean, he he's the main bad guy. He's called Clarence, right? Yeah. He's he's got a backup called Emil. Yeah, and one of his other numbers, Robert, I believe, and these are not tough guy names. Yeah, <laughs> and, and then you look at Clarence; he looks like an accountant or yeah, a geography teacher. And you sort of the physicality when you first see him, you think, like, how have they chosen him for the bad guy? But then you see him; you see him in that role, like guns, 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 <laughs> and um, you know, and uh, can you fly, Bobby, and all yeah. this stuff. And and he's he Menacing. really brings it yeah. well he has yeah he has some of the best lines and just the bit where um, and apparently this was improvised where he's again when we're getting get, when he's brought into the police station he just spits on the desk and he goes give me my fucking phone call oh, yeah <laughs> It's 
I think it's worthwhile talking about. Uh, I mean, should, do you want to just dive into it now? Like we start at the beginning with because we've got the advert. I mean, do you want to talk anything else you want to say about cast, George? Peter Weller. Yeah, so he's a classically trained actor. He did loads of acclaim doing uh, theatre. We actually talked about this in our um, our big trouble in Little China uh, episode because that was written by a guy called W. D. Richter, who wrote the film Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension, and I'm which we still haven't seen yet. But, but we need have to. you seen it? I have seen it. That's why you're here. <laughs> And can you kind of summarise it? Isn't it sort of like the rock star surgeon sort of... It's... I, I seems... It was a while ago. I seem to remember it being quite... Quite absurd. And it's it's not a very well-grounded, take-itself-seriously-to mm. uh, kind of film. But, um, yeah, it, it's it's everything about the 80s. Uh, just not very coherent. Fair enough. Uh, but Sounds perfect. Very, yeah, very, very enjoyable. Okay. Definitely check it out. Yeah, I think we'll have to check that out. But um, the... So, yeah, I think it sort of kind of goes hand in hand because the thing with Robocop is the iconic design. And that was made uh, by a, a guy quite famous... Uh, special effects guy called Rob Bottin uh, or uh, Botten I think it's Bottin but he did the uh, and he'd just come from whilst this film was in pre-production he'd come from doing the effects on the thing so like he almost killed himself working like you know all day all night to do the effects on that that was his first sort of big role but it got him loads of um, loads of acclaim so um, he spent months working on the Robocop suit the design Verhoeven had him abandon the look which was a, 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 apparently they took uh, influence from the film Metropolis the, the robot and that obviously which uh, has gone on to influence uh, the C-3PO design in Star Wars as well but yeah Verhoeven wasn't happy with it and he was like that's crap uh, go for it then they really w- wanted to steer into like the manga aesthetic because obviously manga was getting bigger in the in the States at that time so so they wanted to go for like a more sort of angular thing and then they realised that was a terrible idea they scrapped that and told um, Rob yeah they told Rob Boating to to go back to his original design so are we getting closer to a monkey in a suit yet? no no sadly no. there was no monkeys in suits in, in this in this option but basically it went really down to the wire because of the design and basically Peter Weller in the meantime had spent months perfecting his robotic movements with a mime artist and then because the suit was so delayed the first time he tried on the suit was the first day of shooting and he found he couldn't move in it but it was basically so big and he tried to complain to Verhoeven Verhoeven was like oh you know these actors you know and he was really really struggling with it so they ended up taking a bit of time off and he basically had to rework all his movements and mannerisms because he didn't realise the suit was going to be so constrictive and he needed to look robotic on the subject of the suit and the look uh, I watched a documentary on 2000 AD a little while ago and there were there were people from that era of 2000 AD talking about how they just didn't have their well their proverbial shit together and they were coming up with great ideas and kicking them out there but they couldn't quite make that leap to Hollywood and people were like kind of coming to them and they were just a bit of a mess and essentially they saw Robocop as the original Judge Dredd film and and you break it down it's really uncanny you have just the the aesthetic you have the jaw you the The face is covered Mm. the visor you've got um, body armour the obsession with the law he's a kind of like 
uh, he's, yeah, well, he's, he's essentially like a fascist power fantasy for, for boys and young mm. men. He's, you know, he's out there bringing judgment, killing the bad guys. He's got an awesome gun. Um, yeah, and, a lot of parallels. And it's it's absolutely clear as day when you break it down. And and it, in many ways, when you know, watching it again a few days ago in preparation for this, and it does have a very if you've if you were a judge dread reader uh, there are a lot of very strong parallels well it's, it's, it's even in the um on, on the special features on the dvd watch the, the sort of 20 years later revisited and it shows you footage from rob botin's uh, shop all and all the uh, pre-designs and one of them is judge dread and they even say oh yeah we were kind of going for a judge dread type look so at least they sort of aren't shy well now they're not shying away from it it might have been a bit different at the time yeah, well, it's it's clear they he didn't have trouble looking like a robot, moving like a robot. But that's that was actually it wasn't just it wasn't just plastic. It was a proper. It was uh, I think it was actual like painted rubber with like painted metallic. And I think in I think I heard they in late in the sequels they made it out of fiberglass, so it was a lot lighter to move around in. Mm-hmm. But apparently it was so heavy, and they filmed uh, in Dallas uh, over like a very hot and humid summer. And apparently. Uh, Weller was like losing pounds every day just being stuck in the suit because it was so hot and uh, and constrictive. But um, yeah, the uh, the producer John Davison admits like quite quite openly he says the whole production was a terrible experience. Many people by the end of it weren't on speaking terms, and he wasn't sure if he was going to ever work on another film. But it miraculously turned into a success. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing alright, but it wasn't it wasn't just the suit. It was the uh, I think the setting, futuristic. Detroit. Now, I don't know, say what you will about it was 997, but for me, this is a more believable future than Demolition Man. <laughs> I mean, what? LA's not on fire, but uh, yeah, it just it, it's not too far. They don't go, they don't jump too far ahead. It's not too futuristic. It's well, again, I mean, it, it was that sort of that whole thing of you know a bit like Blade Runner of that big corporations coming in and taking over stuff and you know the privatization of crime of, of the police force and yeah it's it's obviously you know was an issue in the 80s it's now an even bigger issue today you know it was it's a very valid point they're talking about you know the NHS and obviously all the rail services and stuff like that it's private police forces in London yeah private armies what are we going to have next? Corporate yuppies? Corporate yuppies. <laughs> Not just any type of yuppie, corporate yuppies. And to just touch on a point you said before, I think that's what's introduced very early on, is Robocop is quite... I wouldn't say there's a lot going on with him. There's a psychological angle. There's a fish out of water looking very like he's in control when, in fact, in his head, he's all over the place. But even the, the goodies, the baddies, the good baddies, you know, you've got Bob, you've got Dick Jones, you've got Clarence. There's so many layers to them all. And it's, mm. it's, it's fascinating to see them kind of it's like who's going to survive you know they're just fighting amongst each other but I, I, I just I just love the setting the whole thing that it's just the precinct that it's in turmoil and as you say corporation sees an opportunity again going back to the casting so Nancy Allen prior to this she was basically a bit of uh, as uh, I've admitted this before I'm not really much of a horror fan but she was a bit of a scream queen she was in like loads of horror films or she was like wasn't she in the Philadelphia experiment she was good 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 memory but she was I didn't realise until I was doing research she was married to Brian De Palma for a while so that's why she was in several Brian De Palma films before they got divorced (laughs) and then she wasn't in many Brian De Palma films but yeah she was either known as sort of the 
the bitchy role. I think she was like one of the bullies in Carrie, or or sort of like stalkery, like slashery type, sort of you know damsel in distress. So uh, again, it was I think it was Verhoeven's choice to have her cut off all her hair because she had quite long hair normally. Need you um, looking butch? It, well, yeah, he wanted her desexualized essentially. But yeah, it is it is a great sort of against sort of against character, and it's something that ironically I'm sure we'll we'll go back and forth on this. But uh, in terms of the remake, that's gone. He's just got a generic male partner in in the remake of RoboCop. Yeah, um, I, how much time are we spending on the remake today? Uh, as little time as they did on the script. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on. Yeah, you've got the opening, and I was. And then we've got the corporate. Are we going to talk about that that scene in the boardroom? Well, yeah, of course. Well, the, the thing I didn't notice is like again, sort of eighties effects and stuff. But it's quite like again, I find quite charming. Is like the matte painting. So like that opening scene of the Detroit police station. So you've got this real building, but then in the background you've got these looming like. Massive skyscrapers of New Detroit. Yeah, and it's uh, just a map, no need for CGI. Just a painting. But that does indeed take us to so New Detroit, where they're talking about um, old Detroit has a cancer. The cancer is crime. <laughs> He's just known as in the credits as the old man. The old man. He doesn't actually have a name. Well, it's basically like a, a live... It's a bit like a dragon's den, isn't it? It's sort of like they're pitching for for the latest law enforcement uh, gadget, aren't they? Yeah, and yeah, you've got... So you've got, so you've got Dick Jones. Dick. Dick. And you've got Bob Bob Morton, who's got the Robocop project. But yeah, we, we get our first introduction to uh, Ed... ED209 Enforcement droid But I think Very quickly Change it to Ed Ed quite quickly I think I think uh, Ronnie Cox Calls him Ed209 Please put down your weapon You have 20 seconds To comply I think you'd better Do what he says Mr. Kenny but yeah, again, in terms of that iconic lines that you would fire, you know, uh, fire at each other when we kids remember, like you have twenty seconds to comply. Yeah, and that, it is a terrifying scene. That it's so I, dark. I remember being completely yeah. terrified by that. Where they're like pulling out all the wires and nothing's happening. He's still counting down. Well, I, I think because the reason I wanted to get to this scene is because for me this is one of the most important scenes in the film because it demonstrates Verhoeven's concept of satire and he addresses the elephant in the room immediately like like robocop well what about the whole thing what could possibly go wrong putting the gun in the hand of a robot and it's and from the off using live makes, rounds yeah <laughs> use, using live rounds of course and and he makes it funny well i mean ho- horrifically terrifyingly but it's well no it's it's that cathartic thing because it's such it's an logic awful, no no it's, it's such an awful thing though that he's counting down he's still counting down the guy's trying to run away and everyone in terms of that that, that corporate side everyone's pushing him back in sort of you're anyway. on your own yeah, there is no I in team yeah. <laughs> uh, and then that, that was one of the things I noticed in the director's cut the uncut version it's like he is shot so many times he's yeah. literally like turned Torn into apart. mints yeah. by the end of it and that brilliant line of somebody call a paramedic <laughs> so I'm like he ain't coming back um, but that, that scene actually is a really good example the thing um, I, I really picked up on in this film 
um, is in is in the storytelling. And there's um, there's two sides of storytelling. You've got plot, which is the stuff that happens, and story, which is you know what's going on inside the characters, what's moving things forward, what the what the change is inside the protagonist and the lead characters. And it's and it's a fantastic scene where a, perhaps a, a a less interesting or, or smart director or a worse scriptwriter would fall down is they go well let's have a scene we'll have this droid it will kill this guy it'll be amazing well that's plot right but what Verhoeven does and what the scriptwriters do is that everything that happens pushes the story forward so you introduce Bob corporate yeah. you yeah. introduce uh, law enforcement you introduce the, the what if you know what if robots had guns then you've got the what if it goes wrong well here yeah. we go then you've got everyone as you say pushing him away so you've got well there's no love in this room yeah. you know then at the end of it, it pushed that whole scene precipitates Robocop because the other guy comes in whose and name is Bob Morton. Bob Morton. And and he's like, okay, well this is my opportunity to get my Robocop side project um, kickstarted. So once and that you, creates tension between him and Dick Jones, yes. which is his own side story. Exactly. So you've got your Dick Jones is his boss. They work in the same department. Dick Jones heads it up and Bob's just looking for No, no, I think, I think they're competing. I think competing departments. Yeah. 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 So so you have this this beautiful melding of the two storylines. You've got Murphy coming in at the beginning. He's new. He's kind of experienced but perhaps a little naive mm. to the area and he's like, well, you know, this is serious stuff and then on the other hand you've got this other thing coming and they kind of obviously collide in the big kind of Robo Jesus crucifixion scene and <laughs> Robo Jesus and um, and you know it, it's just such a tremendous piece of storytelling to get so much um, inference and information and character building into one what it's like two minute scene I think mm. and then this is repeated all the way through every scene in this film that we'll talk about their story is being pushed forward the character is developing things are moving along there's no whilst plot is happening there's no scenes that are empty of story that just have action sequences or set pieces everything is pushing that story forward and that's what I loved about this well yeah because like even with Lewis the fact that she doesn't immediately see that it's uh, Murphy that she, she has to work it out over time and you say well mm. come on you can see some of his face but we're not exactly sure how much time has passed uh, but even that's got a point to it because she's going to bail him out later in the film you know it's not just and she isn't she doesn't become the love interest it's the partner well, you know it's cops partners taking I think care. that that was actually a thing that uh, Verhoeven pushed against I think they were originally the studio was trying to say oh yeah you've got to have a love scene between Murphy and Lewis and, and he was just like well no that's just going to completely strip it of you know it's just going to cheapen it essentially why, why does it well, need to be there well and essentially his character arc is like he's he's stripped of his humanity he for, he doesn't know who he is there's a strange that, that opening scene um, where he's been fed baby food and mm. you're walking in I mean it's tremendous you don't see Robocop for like 25 minutes no, of this it, film yeah. it's, it's really clever because even there's loads the point of view thing yeah I was going to say makes him you see his innocence his point of view and, and the office party <laughs> yeah and, and, it is, and it's about him regaining his humanity mm. and dis, and discovering trying to get through the pain of what he's lost and, and here in the end of the film towards the end he takes off his helmet in the final scenes he becomes Murphy again and he looks so funny without his helmet on and that's what the arc is and as you say like if there was some kind of weird robo sex scene like where how would that well I think I think it was going to be before he was I don't think we're going to see Robocock I think it was when they were I downloaded the wrong film (laughs) I think it was going to be human on human before the the Robo crucifixion uh, sorry Robo erection 
<laughs> Ro- no, just no, Robo- resurrection. Ro- yeah, resurrection, not a robo erection. Let's, let's just park that. Um, yeah. <laughs> we'll come um, back to that later. So, so yeah, you have yeah the <coughs> the uh, Ed Two and Nine test goes horribly wrong. Dick Jones just says it's just a glitch. Yeah, <laughs> we'll iron it out. No, nothing to see here. But then it quickly cuts to again that sort of well, I don't know if it is you know uh, economic story time, but we get to see Clarence and the gang. Uh, being chased by Murphy so there isn't actually much time to get to know Murphy and Lewis their their relationship but they do it quite well in terms of of how they work together and and stuff like that so yeah we get to see how much of a shit Clarence Bonica really is he's, he's willing to see if one of his gang members will fly yeah sacrifice um, anybody well and, and uh, just a moment before that I believe there's the um, there's the scene this is really interesting telling scene that you only you, perhaps as a child I didn't pick up on Murphy turns up and he gets the locker of a dead cop yes and the chief walks in and he's like give you know uh, give your donations to Cecil as usual well, um, well that's yeah, it so many cops have died no but that's the uh, the well the opening bit the very first thing you see is the news program and there's like being left for dead being gunned down by Clarence Bonica you know more, more exposition and then he's like get well soon Frank <laughs> it's like <laughs> this man is on life support yeah and he's the cop yeah that they, t- they take the name off but straight in there yeah but it's some very economic as you're saying uh, the, the storytelling just how you see that both Lewis and Murphy they're going to be great partners they're both trying to like jostle for, for you know who's the alpha in the partnership they're both willing to go into an undescribed location without backup hilarity ensues um, but, but you so it, it's very quick they don't have much time together in this first act but they already establish you know a lot one thing I did notice though you know I was talking about Weller's sort of uh, robot moves and as he, when he is Robocop he's very slow and methodical but you know quick jerky mo- motions when he's in pre-Robocop Murphy thing he's moving as quick as, as possible he's yeah. like spinning around he's really making his most sort of like I've, I've only got a limited amount of time where I can move I'm going to move quick don't put me back in that suit <laughs> they, did, they must have done this before they put him in this suit they probably were doing the shooting maybe chronologically I, would hope but, so. I mean his his physicality is really sells it like um, I think again it, there's so many so many places this film could have fallen down but everyone was completely uh, giving it their all and selling it and and um, Peter Weller's I think you take it for granted how good a performance it is like just in terms of just the subtlest of movements like yeah the jerky motion I think he turns his body and then his head yeah things like this and it, and it, it completely sells it because anyone else in that suit would have just walked down you'd be like that's a guy in a suit yeah but you look at this and you're like yeah he it's and also some amazing foley, foley work as well for the like the sound effects and the theme we mentioned before and yeah the superhero theme as I'm calling it yeah duh, 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 duh. whenever it's, but it is yeah. it's like whenever he's going you know going because you've got all this world building you've got the look and feel yeah, and that's what he's saying it's not just I think what people might have said or what I thought it was you know when we were watching when we were younger it's just a violent film you like it because it's got violent guns that it's actually a multi-layered uh, cop you know detective drama because his story is he's trying to find out he finds out who killed him and it's all the story of it was actually the origin of Robocop itself how 
convenient that is we'll, we'll, we'll not talk about but um, I don't know if you can relate to this but uh, for me and George, George has watched so much so I very more Total Recall than Starship Troopers obviously there's a bigger time gap but there's a lot of the adverts and the feel and the music no no but if you think about this there's still three years between this and Total Recall no no but there, I would say this is very kindred spirit to Starship Troopers in terms of obviously I say you've got the same writer Ed Newmeyer, but all those would you like to know more those inserts the I mean you did have some fake adverts some, in, um, in, in Total Recall as well there's some lines as well I noticed I, I took a note down here um, the shower scene at the beginning yeah there's the, the obligatory communal yeah. shower scene shower scene Verhoeven's um, obsessed yeah, with communal uh, showers you've got um, there's quite a few lines in here as well you, uh, you want to live forever yes um, yeah, in, I think I noticed in, that um, both films and not enough Michael Ironside we'll get to that later um but yeah, I, I I think there were there were parallels across the board. I, I think you're I think you're right. It does it it does fit in with. Uh, I think that's just a time thing, though. Yeah. I, honestly, I think you're right. I think there's probably more theme shared yeah. between Starship Troopers mm-hmm. and this. But the, but the sound and yeah. the music and the, just the date yeah, the datedness, the, the feel of it, and also the the loss of humanity side. I think there's um, Starship Troopers deals more with like political and social. Yes, themes. that's this true. Is much but, more yeah. Um, yeah, but Total Recall and this deal more with like kind of mm-hmm. personal uh, ideas of humanity whereas what in uh, in Verhoeven's words what he, he describes like he's an American Jesus who carries a gun <laughs> so, <laughs> River Jesus. so yeah he, he wasn't well you know he's more than like uh, like numerous times we'll talk about how it is a, a Christ parable and obviously you you know they said I think because I think he got a lot of flack for how violent that opening the, the crucifixion scene is you know with, with Murphy where it's just shoots his leg his yeah we, we see his hand explode yeah um, and yeah there was even a scene where they, they built uh, Rob Bowden built a, a replica of Peter Weller for when he gets shot in the yeah, head and you yeah. see the back of his head explode you know and yeah. that was cut very in. Terminator-esque yeah just the fake head I mean yeah, yeah. The, the replica head so jump back a bit guys did you see the Terminator before you saw this or was this coming about the same no, time I think Terminator was 84 right I just think in terms of our lexicon I would say it's about the same time for me yeah. I mean what, what you almost like would watch them in the same sitting <laughs> but yeah I think even though it was a few years earlier I think it was yeah they, they all sort of by the time that you know as Charlie was saying we I came to it a bit later being a bit younger but they all came sort of at the same melting pot you know, toxic waste. We'd go over to our neighbours, they'd say, do you want to be scared? We'd say no, they'd say, well, we're going to put this on anyway. So I think that brings us nearly to Act 2, Robo on Patrol. Because <laughs> that's what I was going talking about earlier with the whole superhero film. He's established and then he's on patrol. He's showing off his powers. Well, you know, as Ben was saying, there's some great use of a point of view in this film. Like you see, yeah, I say the stuff that's been, it's actually been parodied quite a bit. It's been parodied in space really well where you're seeing it like, you know, I fucking love this guy. And, you know, all the sort of tracking and stuff like that. And it's quite a while before you actually see him. You see him on 
on like a, a bit of them on a TV monitor. Oh yeah, it's just a glance. Yeah, just a glance. And then you, it quickly gets into the, what I've called sort of like the, the robo crime montage where he's on patrol. I love that bit. The, 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 the theme kicks in, you know, it's the first time, I mean, it's... 34 minutes till the theme. Really? It's the first time you hear the uh, superhero theme. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great uh, soundtrack. I mean, it's something that I, I, I cocked up on, I think on our Starship Troopers episode. I couldn't remember the name of the composer. It's the same guy. It's Basil uh, Polidurus, I think. Is, is it pronounced? It's, he did Conan as well. So very bombastic. Uh, yeah, he did Starship I'm hearing a lot of Conan now, now that you say yeah. that. Starship Troopers. But he also he talks uh, about how he did sort of a mixture between synthesizer and orchestra to reflect the sort of machine and human qualities in Robocop. Nice. So there will be different parts where it's orchestral and more, and then other parts where it's more synthesizer. Anything, anything with synth gets our vote. There's that whole sort of crime montage. I say we've got the uh, the convenience store. Why me? Or or fuck you? Fuck me? Whatever it is. Um, we've got the attempted rape scene, which is iconic. I mean that that image of the silhouette, just seeing the giant silhouette Robocop on on the wall is is quite iconic. I just can't. And stop the penis shooting. Yeah, uh, there's, uh, there's the penis shoot. I just can't stop thinking about the Amiga game. I'm glad we. we I was going to say. So it was that. I don't know if you had a Commodore Amiga. But yeah, it was the, the the tracking thing. You had to get it in between her legs, just like in the film. That the photo match thing was again. Yeah. I think the game was terrible, but it was no, a no, really good game. We, we loved it. I remember the the photo match thing being really quite good graphics for, well, for the Amiga just, it was just photos but yeah you had yeah it was basically like m- matching up the, yeah, the the tracking sort of a bit like you get on sort of you know football games with the power bar would go up and down you had to get the sights right but yeah it was a great game I recently played uh, the Robocop versus Terminator game uh, on, I completely forgot about that um, which is terrible it is terrible <laughs> but yeah the, the Amiga game lots of fond memories that in that game how do they make any pretense to try and explain why Robocop and Terminator are in the same game together? Yes. Fighting, Sky- presumably. Skynet sends Terminators back for reasons and Robocop's the only person that can sort them out, apparently. I think I think it's it's very very clunky. I'll I'll have to show it to you at some point. It's uh, yeah. works on paper. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. It's garbage. Um <laughs> So yeah, after the attempted rape scene, great scene, great silhouette. We've got more TV. We've we're, this is the one that definitely did remind me of Starship Troopers. We've got RoboCop at school. Uh, what? Stay out. Of yeah, wait, oh, stay out of trouble. <laughs> Robo, any tips with the kids? It's, it's the way they're all chasing after him, and he suddenly just stops and turns around, and they all freak out. It's, uh, and There's your Starship Troopers again. Exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. a good bug is a dead bug. <laughs> and you also get, you know, um, the, the, the 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 game for all the family. Newcom. Newcom. Red alert. Red alert. Red alert. Dismantled your MX stockpile. Pakistan is threatening my border. That's it, Buster. No more military aid. Nukem. Get them before they get you. Another quality home game from Butler Brothers. Brilliant. But once again, Verhoeven flexing his um, his activist muscles. Can we talk about how narrow the barrel is on the gun in the in the drugstore scene? Because or it, the the uh, robber's gun. Yeah, it, it just seems. Re- I don't know a lot about guns, but it's like he's shooting like two twos or something. Like a sawn- It's a, it's meant to be a sawn-off shotgun, but it's got an extension which is like it's actually, really it's thin. Bends it. 
Yeah. I think that's added for that yeah. and to make it kind of look futuristic because he does that with a few of the other guns. They are, I don't know if you'll notice, but like the guns that, uh, skipping right to the end, the, the, the big ridiculous. Guns yeah. that explode are actually just high-powered sniper sniper rifles, which have had some add-ons, add-on things yeah. added, to, a lot so, like taking out of aliens. You know, because it seems strange to me introducing this like you know big but like strong, powerful you know man machine, and then he just shoots him with this little, like pellet gun or something. And and I, the only thing I can think of is that he's building it up so it starts off with these tiny little pellet guns, but then by the end of the film, you're not bored of him getting shot because now they're using tank gigantic tank, yeah. sniping yeah. tank gun. But I, I think that whole thing is so that he can bend the gun. I think they've that actually inserted something into the end of a shotgun and it's bendable. You know. There's also some lovely product placement in that scene when the uh, the guy's like, well, where, where's the safe? Where's the safe? And it's hidden under a mountain of Miller Lite cans. Yeah, product placement. Product placement. So we've got some more corporate shenanigans. We have Jones versus Morton where, yeah, don't the, fuck with Dick Jones. Yeah, that is, as you say, it's, um, it's like something out of American Psycho where in terms of like they're slagging each other off they're trying to get one up on each other there's the the VI the corporate VIP toilets they've got access to yeah the got, executive got, washroom got yeah got the gold card yeah but then obviously uh, Bob Bob's doing some sherbet with those two girls and Clarence turns up I've, I've said <laughs> you've got two scenes very close uh, to each other so you've got the bit where uh, Murphy starts to remember uh, and you've got some again really good uh, point of view there's one thing that uh, it's a visual thing that annoys me in films when you see flashbacks that people experience flashbacks and they see themselves in it whereas this is I think one of the few times that someone has a flashback and you see it from their point of view so he's seeing them he's walking through the house he's walking through the house he's seeing his kids he's, you know you see them posing for a photo and he's not seeing himself in the memory um, but that's just a small point um, but yes we have the obligatory 80s club scene yeah where he takes out it's like an acid house rave as well it's like I didn't even know they had acid house in 1987 but it's not it's not like kind of like your kind uh, of synth 80s pop, pop yeah. like you know pop and rock kind of thing it's, well, it's a hard I was going to say it's a, it's, it's a bit sort of 80s synthy. Well, all yeah. I'm saying is it's obviously the club that, the type of club that Verhoeven would see himself in so some Charlie trivia Paul Verhoeven is in that scene. Really? I, th- I think he's the guy that yeah. one of my favourite bits of the scene where he knocks the gun out of the guy the gangster's hands and it lands in somebody else's and he just carries on dancing Is that Paul Verhoeven? <laughs> yeah, yeah That's wonderful. <laughs> but you've also got as Charlie says the obligatory 80s coke scene. <laughs> <laughs> what do we do? We're yuppies what do we love coke so yeah doing doing coke with two lovely ladies until, who must be his friends who, um, <laughs> until Clarence Spodica turns up and, and delivers the, and lets the ladies go <laughs> no, but that, no but that's yeah that's it no because obviously there's the amazing line bitches leave one of the one of my favourite lines in, in the ITV version ladies leave yeah <laughs> <laughs> but that also that to me is very like the Ed 209 it's terrifying well, yeah was, you've had your knee shot and there's a grenade ticking on a table it's just yeah that, that was something that really used to like jar with me when, when I was when I was far too young to be watching it as a child that re- that scene really rattled me in terms of the fact he can't get to it in time uh, and now I'm just fascinated that they've put like a little Casio digital countdown on a grenade because we still haven't got those we still haven't got where, the, where, where are I try to buy grenades the wind, I, what have you got those Casio things yet not buying it not interested yeah. not interested 
another sort of 80s scene well it's more drugs it's the drug factory scene which is a big action set piece yeah which is, is it some phenomenal for, yeah Charlie's doing some lovely movements posing uh, some gun under the arm I'm just so good I can just shoot from anywhere but it's not some, even looking well that's it it's some <laughs> great body choreography I suppose it's action choreography but everyone's shooting at him and as you were saying Ben it's a bit of that escalation you know from just being one or two people shooting at him a whole room of people are shooting at him but I've got one question and I've said before why not shoot him in the face <laughs> you're such a killjoy George maybe he's got bulletproof cheeks yeah why didn't you shoot for the face it's a chance we weren't to take <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he has a metallic face and Under the high tech, you know, future. They've just grown some skin over it, and it's it's actually his whole skull. Well, that's is that's like true. We don't we don't know what's behind the skin. That's and true. And they just kept his brain. What if that's true? I think that seems a bit far fetched. What if there was like a, an aura? <laughs> <laughs> it's just refracting the bullets as they arrive. Not force, that simple, like a force field. Like a force field. Well, the thing is, you could you could extrapolate uh, if he can <laughs> if he can shoot people without looking directly at them because he's calculated where they are in the room. Mm. Perhaps he can calculate trajectories. And he's always out of line moving of out of line of fire, moving his head. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I like it. We're like back. It. So we're back we, in the disco. Scene. Well, well uh, speaking of, uh, of 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 science, we, science time. Were you going to enlighten us about? So there's the scene where, where Murphy uh, confronts Emil, one of the thugs, at a gas station, and there's a brilliant, pure 80s, cool guys don't look at explosions, him walking away as the whole gas station... Gas stations, we're, we're in America, not a petrol station. I like American things now. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the petrol station blows up, but Ben, are you going to tell us why this is completely wrong? I am. I am I, the curse of being a scientist is that you see everything wrong in films with respect that to would never science happen. Uh, and you have to really suspend your disbelief but one thing that is a, it's a common occurrence in um, in films is petrol being ignited by a lit cigarette and it does not happen it's impossible um, you I, I don't, don't try the, I, don't try this at home yeah, kids I really don't recommend you try this yourself um, because what about firing your gun many times at it does uh, that work if you get some sparks off it somehow that could work but the, the fact is that it's petrol vapour that burns the invisible uh vapor that comes off the petrol that's the part that ignites the actual liquid itself doesn't burn and that is that the stuff that burns your nostrils if you sniff too much of it <laughs> charlie no no speaking from experience um yeah so if you it's you need you need a naked flame or a spark so if you you don't see it in this film because the uh, he throws a cigarette down then you get a wide angle there's an explosion but if you a big explosion a big explosion very good and it is a, it is a fuel explosion as well you tell by the colour and the smoke that's, that's that's real petrol burning there guys but um, <laughs> so, so some level of realism um, but uh, if you do spot an action film where you see the cigarette go down and the fuel kind of edge towards it and you watch very carefully what you'll see is the fire will begin somewhere else and flash across to where the cigarette is because a cigarette does not have the ignition propensity somewhere there is a monkey petrol. there's a monkey in a suit with a, with a blowtorch dressed as a fireball yeah. uh, as a fireball I was thinking as a garage uh, sorry as a gas station attendant George oh, okay sorry. so they'll use a little electric electric uh, fuse or some electric circuit that will just press a switch it'll 
click a spark off or light a little flame and it will just shoot in from off camera and you'll see that flash race across the fuel. Happens very quick, but if, you, uh, if you're careful and you watch, you'll see that a cigarette will never light the fuel in an action movie. But once again, do not try this at home. Yeah, really, really do not try this at home <laughs> because the lighter you use will. <laughs> and they, somebody might call Ben and he'll have to go to work and he won't be able to complete the podcast. But it's still a, a damn impressive, as you say, it is a proper physical explosion. Uh, lots of fuel was harmed during the making of that explosion, I think, or used and, at least. you know, it's, it's, it's like the 80s. You don't get many explosions like that these days. Well, They're just all turn, CG. You just well, turn off You turn off to it well, now. So people are worried about the carbon footprint now. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So, yeah, where we were, there's the drug factory scene, lots of broken glass, lots of drug dealers, lots of squibs. Yeah, it's the 80s. I work for Dick Jones. I'm, I'm just... Dick just, Jones! Dick Jones! Dick Jones! Great physical work from Weller, some great bad guy stuff from from uh, Kurtwood. So yeah, I think that takes us to the final act. Uh, I do like the the final. I do like the final act. The final act is I I do like the Ed the Ed two hundred nine stop motion. <laughs> falling in it's like doesn't like stairs <laughs> oh yeah so that, that leads me on to some more trivia so um whilst rob rob Botine did the robocop effects um a guy called phil Tippett did the um stop motion effects now we've talked about <laughs> phil before because he was the man that did the stop motion he did um he was a key part of the animation for jurassic park so he did all the dinosaur movements uh, before it was p- programmed into the computer so he was his his term yeah, the worst title ever was dinosaur supervisor on jurassic <laughs> park and that's led to people like what the fuck phil real people died why weren't you supervising those dinosaurs you had one job phil yeah you had one job so yeah F- phil Tippett is a, a, a stop motion specialist and he goes into sort of the detail of of uh, getting uh, ed 209 to move and for for that scene where he falls down the stairs they actually built a a replica scale model of the staircase and then just threw a model down it yeah and so, 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 so the, I just love that bit where his foot's trying to feel for well, I, well again apparently that's uh, that's all Phil according to the writers that wasn't in the script that was just him like playing around with animations like oh, it's a bit, bit, a bit of comedy whereas yeah he's feeling for the steps and uh, just when he's on his back just, just like, just like a, I don't know what you'd call it, just like a, a, a bee, a dead insect on its back scrambling around. But that's sort of Act One versus Robocop. I do like when they next meet, it's a much shorter encounter. Yes. <laughs> he just wheels out the tank gun. The muzzle gun. Um, I do have a, a plot question. I don't know if it's just something I've missed before. So the whole uh, Ed 209 Robocop, the initial face-off happens where he goes to arrest Dick Jones Dick Jones um, and incurs uh, the directive fourth, the fourth directive four. yeah. now Dick Jones said oh yeah I had this installed early on to protect me when did he do that because this brings me back to my original point in that Dick there, Jones is Bob's boss Bob is an up and coming star and it's like I think I, they work for different companies both competing for contracts I think they both work for OCP in the same building yeah I, I thought it's a security okay I'm going to have to get Rival Paul Verhoeven I'm going to have to get yeah, rival, yeah I think they're rival 
because they're both from security departments. They're, but, they're, but they're both building. They're both building projects for. But they're just approaching it in different ways. So they are competing for the top spot. It's like the old man isn't going to be here, for, here forever. And so Dick Jones is going for his position, and Dick Jones is saying, "Well, look, I'm I'm going to be your boss one day." And I think that's why he works in the same department. I think the reason how he was able to get Access. that directive in. I mean, he kind of says that, doesn't he, in the film? Is like. He, he he put it in That's yeah no he says he put it in but I'm just wondering when because obviously he was opposed to the Robocop I program. think he put it in because he was opposed yeah. uh, he was like I'm not going to have that That this this guy this maverick renegade stop me yeah no one's going to rain on my parade so yeah we get to the the main sort of well the conclusion so we get that part where Lewis and, and Murphy team up he takes off the, the, the Judge Dredd moment he takes off his helmet it's not Sylvester Stallone there's, I think it's, I mean, you were saying it's, it looks really funny, but I think the effects where he takes off his helmet, seeing that sort of join between sort of metal and real face, I think it's brilliant. Special effects. Yeah, great makeup. It reminds you of the brutality of this situation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that, that's all that's left. And the other thing is, I don't know if it, it just reminded me of going back to Total Recall. Is it the same set where Arnie goes and has the conversation with himself? It looks like the same steel mill. You know, I, I was going to say Where that. he pulls the thing out of his nose. <laughs> Because there's also, uh, what did I say? Because I put something about that, about how he's, is it, is it, is he talking about what the future is going to be look like? There's a lot of disused factories because the drug bust, yeah. there's the opening scene and then there's the end scene. Is, is, is it all in the same, or is it just the dying nature of industry? Do you know what yeah. I mean? It was like, it was that an underlying thing. So then uh, obviously we've got, we've got Clarence and his guns, guns, guns. Uh, the massive guns. I'm sure it looks like there's like a CCTV camera is the site because the guns are so yeah. big, but they are just huge cannons, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, as I say, you can the shape and design. They look yeah. like the sort of things that a sharpshooter would use, maybe in the early '90s sort of thing, but with a few attachments added onto it. But and the explosions are Verhoeven, Verhoeven level explosions. But getting to Verhoeven style, we get Emil's downfall. Oh my God, we used to laugh because I think we were like you, terrified by this toxic waste incident the first time. But then to get over that, it became sort of like nervous laughter, and then just outright hysteric. So we were looking forward to this so, uh, this scene so much. So I uh, I went and saw this a few years ago at the Prince Charles. There was a, a double bill of Terminator and then Robocop. Wonderful. Um, and I went and saw it with a couple of workmates. And they they said that afterwards they were a little bit worried about me because I was the only person laughing at the... Help me! <laughs> I, was, I was uncontrollably laughing. We used to do that so, so much when we were younger. Yeah, and my mates just thought I was a bit weird. You um, are a bit weird. So I, I, I showed my true colours. So the, uh, the prosthetics in that scene are astonishing. Uh, yeah, and amazing. And, it, and still so, today. Yeah, I mean, still, like, it, 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 things like the thumb flesh hanging off the bone. Yeah. And the, and the flesh hanging off the bones and the jaw. And, like, and it, it really, really sells what could have been just a complete bunch of effect. Now, you were saying the guy from The Thing was involved. Well, yes. I imagine he had his fingerprints all over. Yeah, yeah. And apparently the guy that he encounters, I can't remember the guy's name, but he's in loads of TV. Uh, I can't remember the, even his... his the it's the guy he approaches and says help me too so I'm not going to stop doing this uh, yeah. apparently that was the first time he had actually seen the effects so that's why the, like, the looks of genuine fear on his face and shock are real of like get off me it's brilliant and then, and then he literally just 
explodes Explode. over a car it's just a really splattery wet oh, explosion it's, it's, yeah, it's very liquidy yeah you can't see through the windscreen it's yeah but it's all these things that Verhoeven does it's all these threats it's like it's I think it's in Total Recall it's like ever since we lost the ozone layer and it's like all of these adverts about this you know fascist police force about there being toxic waste about there being nukes about there being this loss of control you know it is still quite I don't know there's there's a lot of messages in there and I think the talk is like well how is he going to die it's like what's well, a factory what would be the worst way to die possible well being shot by a robot well we've done that being uh, shot in the dick by a robot be having your kneecap shot off and then watching a, a grenade tick down yeah. done that what what could be you know it's like yeah there's a, there's a few times where Verhoeven shows his darker side and I suppose that's uh, well I suppose the uh, Clarence's death is is pretty graphic because he gets the, the the CD drive in yeah. the neck. Yeah, brilliant. That took me by surprise this time. I completely forgot about how he ends. I, and I, I, I kind a, of did as well. I remember it, that he uses it on someone. I just couldn't remember. Who. I, well, like, I, I thought he did. Oh, there I it is. I think again that was a. It's quite it, well, it's, it's a smart storytelling. Yeah, it's a key part of the storytelling. He, of he's using it's, it, searching it's for people. It's teased in a certain way. Yeah. And even when he brings it out, it's kind of threatening and a little bit. Comedic. Oh, is that a weapon? So it like no, a, it's not a weapon. Yeah. Yeah. And he uses it um, to to search the computers for for the information he's after, and then you kind of forget about it by the end of the film. But because it's been put in there as a non-offensive weapon sort of thing, you, you do forget, and then he brings it out at the last the minute. Double it's like blood. Kind of the, and the shot, so and much blood. Very <laughs> and the spurting. Um, yeah, Paul, uh, we're running low on squibs. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's a real shame because there's been some fantastic uh, special effects throughout this film, but when it comes to Dick Jones's comeuppance and he's shot and falls out the window, oh my God, what a happening with that man's arms I don't know but it's definitely a doll can it's we all agree a doll I think it's Phil Phil Tippett and his animatronic <laughs> arms but he, his arms are about the length of his whole body it's 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 shocking it's it's a shame I do like uh, Bob Morton's colleague going yes when when, when Dick Jones gets shot Johnson is the unsung hero in this yeah. he's the guy who's like it's baby food yeah it's baby food he's great and uh, he's so happy watching his potential boss get blown apart and blown out the window. Uh, but yeah, very satisfying comeuppance and it ends where it all began. In um, the, around a boardroom table with blood and gore. Now, they'll um, fix you. Yeah. Are we going to spend? Because I started, so I watched this. Watch this on Netflix, and they've got all of them on Netflix. I started watching the first ten minutes of RoboCop two, and it was very late, so I switched it off. Do either of you remember RoboCop two? Does it hold up at all? I just remember it's, it's about, it's, it's it's about a drug called Narc Kane. Oh, oh no, it's no a, Kane's the bad, the bad, bad, bad drug dealer whose brain gets put it's, in like an Ed two hundred nine. Yeah, but what do they? Yeah, there is a drug, that, and there's a drug uh, who's like I think the drug seven years yeah, old. Yeah, it, I think. It is, yeah, no, there's, like a, there's like an eight year old kid who's a drug dealer. Could you shoot that, like, kid? Could you fucker? Yeah, yeah that, that's the bit I got up to, and I was like, oh yeah, I remember that bit. Yeah, it's, it kind of screws with uh, Robocop's memories of his child. Which, interestingly, I wondered this time watching through with the total recall angle, did he ever have a family? Was yeah, it, you know, because you never see his family for real. You only it, see his it, memories. In the memories, and you wonder if maybe his brain got scrambled, and he's like he's grabbing for something mm. that was never real. But to, to be fair, so to I know we sort of made it a bit. Well, no, because he's practicing. He does the gun thing for his son. 
he does the gun thing, but he tells himself it's maybe he just watches T T J Laser by himself. Okay. In his in his, uh, in his studio, studio apartment. Do you reckon that version of it has uh, William Shatner in it? Because <laughs> it's clearly T J Hooker. T J Hooker, T J Laser. But yeah, I know I sort of made a cheap uh, joke about the the remake. I, I think that there are some. Well, no, you and I agreed that it's a different type. It's, it's well, brave no, for taking a different different no, type of well, film. Yeah. To go on your point, Ben, I think the remake does make some interesting points about the nature of memory because they try and I think they try and erase his memory but then they realise that he can't function as well so there's that sort of control yeah, they, they, they take away his human they they, they make him more machine like don't they yeah. in that film and then uh, they, they drug him and then make it but his, his the fact is that he starts he knows his who his family is and then they say yeah we need him to be he's too emotional yeah. let's take the emotion out of it and it's there are some interesting themes in the remake um, obviously it has by having Michael Keaton in it it obviously adds a couple of points as well and Samuel L. Jackson but it and is, it's also got one of the most wooden robotic actors of the current time oh, jo- jo- Joel Woodman I mean Kinnaman <laughs> yeah but yeah no it's it's just a very safe bland a bit like I, the Total Recall remake it, it's a very bland it, pointless remake I, I think there the, the, was a sort of twofold problem fundamentally with the remake uh, one is that uh, all the violence was completely toned down was yeah 12 um, so it took one of the the, the key- sort of thematic aesthetics out of yeah. the, the yeah, and two the you know a good guy's only as good as a bad guy is bad and and the bad guy in that. I mean, can you even remember what he looked like? It was so completely well, forgettable. That's not Michael Keaton because he, he's the, the, the sort of the corporate version. Yeah, no, but it's, there's it's, no it's, Clarence Bodecker. Oh, like, no, there's, there's, there's no, no one like charismatic guy running around murdering cops and doing no, there's, uh, there's not throwing much. people out of vans. There's nothing. He's just he's just like a placeholder. We need a bad guy. Uh, we'll get that guy. It's always about it's always about the bad. Well, no, but which, something that we've touched on, Charlie. We talked about the the eighties and the nineties had so many good character actors in, in, in small roles. And you had met people that you know a bit like Kurtwood Smith, like you know I've, I was, just, you know, it's gone full it, reversal now because now you've got people who are they're making they're doing more stuff on Netflix and then they have success on Netflix and they go into film, but then they're, they're they're almost doing films to stay on Netflix, whereas back then TV was the launch pad for film. Yeah, no, but it's it's, it's funny though, like if you said. Kurtwood Smith like oh yeah it's the guy from Robocop but oh I'm sure I've seen him in something else and obviously yeah we said that 70s show um, he's in Rambo 3 Under Siege 2 Broken Arrow so you know he's cropped up in some big films there's also a link between I think three of the main actors have all been have links to Star Trek so Ronnie Cox has been, uh, Kurtwood Smith was in Star Trek 6 as one of the Klingons maybe Ronnie Cox has cropped up and obviously Peter Weller was he's the He's in the reboot, wasn't he? He's in the reboot, but he was also in some of the next generation, I think, Hmm. as well. So, yeah, bit of a start. But they are all... I mean, again, Peter Weller, outside of... Robocop I would struggle to sort of you know name him in a few things obviously we've talked about we're big fans of that Dark Knight Returns animated amazing. thing and he's, his voice is is, is is probably an odd choice but I think it works they've all consistently got work in sort of character actors type stuff but me like you I do wish or wonder maybe it's just not my cup of tea why I haven't enjoyed more Peter Weller in, in more he's been, he's been busy at university doing his uh, well yeah I, I went to 
see him at uh, London Film and Comic Con last year in the summertime. And Stay out of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, and and um, yeah, he he was absolutely fantastic. I mean, he I don't know, he must be in his seventies. Yeah, must be. By now, but he was so vital. He had so much energy on stage. He didn't sit down for a second. He was pacing up and down. Well, it's, it's all, all that time yeah. trapped in the robot yeah. suit. <laughs> He's, he's climbing, clawing it all um, back. He, if you ever, ever get a chance to see him speak, go. He—he's he's just an inspiration to be around. But um, it turns out, uh, one of the things I learned about him is he has a PhD in Renaissance art and not not an honorary degree from a university for some donation. Like he, he literally just went out and earned, um, a, you know, did his studies and, and passed his viva and got his um, his you know, arts PhD in Renaissance art. He's, you know, he's obviously got a lot of strings to his bow. Speaking of which, do you know Ronnie Cox, the man who plays Dick Jones, is a talented country singer-songwriter and has five albums? Five. <laughs> five. Five. Five global. So yeah, apparently he's been in, uh, he's been doing a lot of TV. He was in Dexter. He was in, I think, the third series of True Detective, but he's also been in Nashville. I think that's where he's been doing a lot of his, his singing. But yes, he's an accomplished singer-songwriter. Well, I think that leads us to... Was it time to release? It is time to release. release Jeff and Celine. It is. Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Coulda, woulda, shoulda is where George and Ben and myself, if we have done any homework, but normally George informs us of the other actors or directors who were looking at this project were considered for roles but didn't get selected yeah so there's there's two main people that were were in the running for this and neither one when i tell them to you are that surprised and consider they have both worked with paul verhoven before or, or and or since so the first one was rudger hauer so rudger hauer had worked with uh, verhoven uh, on one of his i think it was one of the few Dutch films of uh, his early films I've seen I think Soldier, Soldier of Orange which is about a set in World War II but the other one and you mentioned him earlier was Michael Ironside it isn't a proper Verhoeven film without him at least being considered um, and apparently they were both ruled out because they were both too tall too big that they said that by adding all the the sort of robo costume it would have just looked ridiculous so they needed somebody that was quite slender and quite slim and relatively small so i think i think peter weller is maybe 510 511 um but yeah both michael ironside and rudger hara are over six foot so they would just be too tall for the role. can you imagine them just it would be hard to get all those shots everyone's towering over yeah well, it's, it's, it's towering it's, over everybody else it's, it's funny you say that because when you mentioned before that Ironside was considered I was like well it's clearly for Clarence Boddicker because yeah. that's the that's the Ironside well it's also the role that he kind of plays in because uh, he's under, under, underling to Ronnie Cox in Total Recall yeah so yeah that was the it's a very uh, a short coulda woulda shoulda but uh, I mean as I say you know it's just goes to show obviously they've, they've both worked with uh, Verhoeven in, in the past or, or future which neatly brings us to uh, suspicious spin-offs. Like 
so who's ready to go first? Suspicious spin-offs is where we like to have a little bit of fun and say what sort of show... What do we want to film, see more of? Yeah, what do we want to see more of? What What, what is who missing we, from the... Who do we want to see more of? The Robo-Jesus universe. Uh, what, what, so, Ben, as our guest, I think you can start us off. Have you got a, a long one or a short one? I've got a short one and a long one. How are we doing? Right, well, I mine's pretty much straight off the bat, and I don't think it's what you're going to go with. Mine involves two characters from the film, both robots. It's a buddy cop film starring Ed 209 and Robocop. Ed 209 is the moron. He gets all of the laughs and it's about him and Robocop. Kind of like 48 hours. Think of like that. Sort of like a a red heat sort of thing. Hilarity ensues. I'm thinking maybe two or three dodgy sequels. Oh, obviously straight to video. But that's all I've really got because I think I was a bit spent after watching Robocop 2. And let's not talk about Robocop 3 where he flies. And fights ninjas. Oh my God. Okay, so... you got a short one because I think yeah uh, my short one is really short so we, we talked about him at the end but you know comedy black guy Johnson you know the guy yeah. that like that cheers uh, I just want to see a, a sitcom based around him and corporate shenanigans him just being a bit of a clown getting in people's way a bit like sort of like The Office mockumentary just following Johnson around as could well. his catchphrase be yes with a clenched fist yeah and that's like, how and it ends on a freeze frame every every yeah, episode just going yes that's what happens that's what we do in security control systems yeah so yeah that, that's it it's just a, a a really bad cheesy sitcom I mean you, you could easily see it playing on the TVs could, in in uh, Detroit could it always be that it's he, he's it could just be called like schadenfreude and whenever one of his like office mates falls over he's like yes, yes. or like someone spills hot coffee down their front he jumps just pops into screen. yes well, I think yeah. things and bad things both work yeah anything could be, could be a sweet old lady tripping up on the street <laughs> and he just pops out the door <laughs> yes so yeah that's that's mine sort of what do you got for us Ben uh, well two I've got one real suspicious spin off and if you've never heard of this or you've never seen it I cannot recommend it enough it's called Our Robocop Remake all one word Get on YouTube or go to the website. Um, it's crowdfunded, and the uh, a bunch of Robocop fans from around the world all submitted their scene, mm. and so it's it's, it's dozens and dozens crowdfunded of crowdfunded film, different filmmakers remaking their favourite scene from Robocop. It's scene for scene remake, but it varies from like incredibly high end, like um, really good stop motion animation and CGI to sock puppets to, <laughs> to cardboard cutouts. The penis shooting scene, there's like a hundred penises get shot. Um, it's absolutely hilarious. So it's loving. It, is it's, it like it's a one, real, is it like the full length of the film? Like it's one, the one entire one length of the film. Oh wow. Scene remade for scene, yeah. scene for scene by Robocop fans with, with love and affection this is and, what people uh, did before YouTube yeah and, and it's it's absolutely phenomenal I do recommend that you check that out we'll have to we'll put a link on uh, so that's maybe. our Robocop remake and that's yeah. our as in time or as ours as in ours right okay our, uh, our, our fans our fans. share a link we'll put it in the show notes cool okay so I was thinking about a Netflix series um, and yeah there's a lot of things that are all the rage now but crossovers are big time so I'm thinking Robocop versus Terminator versus Aliens versus Predator versus Judge Dredd versus Batman Man versus Daredevil versus Deadpool versus Rick and Morty. Wow. Um, I, I, I see like you could use Rick and Morty to combine this like they could they could have an accident with a portal gun and they're getting pursued by like Predator and aliens and uh, and rather than just um, going merely through like the dimensional and time portals they rip through the impervious barrier between legal 
film franchises and they're, they're bouncing around uh, Rick's grabbing all the bits off the dead dead robots and, and, and superheroes and he has to fight Predator and it all gets very bloody and messy but Robocop saves the day so it's essentially like Pickle Rick but made out of 80s movie cha- franchises and a Rickle in time from the sounds of it yeah it's like but ripping through all the franchises I think this is going to be very expensive but I would watch yeah as very, I said, very expensive for the for the, leave it for the, the legal team yeah, get that guy out of House of Cards uh, and I'm on board. Which one? I don't know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's going cheap now, right? Yeah. If not, got Disney Plus coming online soon. They'll be all over this. Thank you very much, Ben. Anything else you want to say, George? How do you feel about going back and taking a retro ramble on Robocop? I hope we have done it justice. I mean, it is a, a classic film of the 80s. It's a classic film of the sci-fi genre. You know, I think... I think people do write it off for its uber violence. You know, obviously it gave us the introduced the the, the larger world to the crazy Dutch genius that is, is Paul Verhoeven. It was basically a, a case of diminishing returns uh, in terms of the, the sequels and remakes and animated TV shows uh, and video games. Yeah, I think it's it's an important film, and due to the satire, I think it still holds up and is is a lot of fun. And Ben, what was it like going back and watching this? Yeah, gratifying, and you know, I, I I got a lot out of it. I hadn't seen it for a long time, and it was it was worth revisiting for sure. Yeah, been a long time for me, and yeah, as I said, it's what stuck out to me was just the whole how it just seemed like so much of an or- a great solid origin story with multi you know multi layered philosophy, and obviously the typical Verhoeven uh, satire. So before we go on, Ben can be found doing his top film tip. Haven't you got something else you want to mention? a book to um, promote yes uh, thanks Charlie yeah I, indeed I have um, written a book this year um, it's called Winner Winner you can find information about it at winnerwinnernovel.com available on Amazon um, you might have to search for my full name to find it um, so if you search for um, Benjamin Leon Dads that's D-A-D-D-S um, it should pop up under there it's Winner Winner we'll include all the f- yeah, information we'll, in the show notes put a link on the uh, blog episode uh, on the blog page as well for that so what are you going to tell us what's the uh, a quick synopsis about the the book maybe a top film tip style <laughs> so the story is called winner winner all winston wants is to win but is being a winner all he wants to be whilst trying to fit in at his new secondary school winston wins winters a competitive but well-meaning youth chooses to enter a challenging series of sporting events after accidentally coming into contact with an experimental new treatment uh, designed to mend broken brains, Wynn's new perceptive prowess gives him everything he wanted, but at what cost? On his journey of discovery, Wynn's will learn that life is not a zero-sum game. So there you have it, winner, winner. So yeah, as I say, we'll uh, we'll put a link in in the show notes and on the blog. Um, I have I have read the book and I do recommend it for for people of, of science fiction and it's it's a you sort of a, a young adult sort of sci fi. Yeah, genre. I, I think it's it's written towards um, a younger audience, but um, people of all ages seem to be enjoying it. I I certainly enjoyed it, and I'm not saying that just because you're in front of me right now. <laughs> uh, no, it is uh, it is a lot of fun. There's uh, some movie reference, some sly movie references in there. 
amongst other things. So yeah, if you're a fan of uh, the sci-fi genre, uh, check it out. Winner, winner. So George, what have we uh, have we got? Anything else we need to plug of our own? We've got some uh, we've got some cool stuff coming up over the summer. Blockbuster Central. We've got some anniversaries coming. So there's going to be a whole host of films coming up. So stay tuned at RetroRamble.blog. We're on all the social medias, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, YouTube. Yes, and and as always, the obligatory. Uh, you know, if you enjoy these podcasts, uh, please leave us a review on on iTunes because it does matter. It makes us more visible to the masses. Uh, and uh, if you enjoy it, why not recommend it to a friend? Brilliant. A work colleague. Pen pal. An evil boss like <laughs> Dick Jones. Okay, brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Ben. I've, I've been Charlie McGee. I've been George McGee. And uh, you've been... I've been Ben. And, <laughs> and where can we find you on, on Twitter, Ben? Uh, you find me at, at topfilmtip on Twitter and thanks very much for having me on guys I really appreciate uh, the invite up here in Retro Ramble Towers well pleasure to have you and yeah I, I do recommend uh, you follow Top Film Tip on Twitter because they are a lot of fun and it's just handy to see what uh, good films are on uh, Freeview Telly because not all of us can be bothered to pay for Sky <laughs> who can okay so that's Retro Ramble and we'll see you next time bye bye